you know, you creeps out there. Back with another episode of the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. Got a good one for you here today, dipping back into the well of DC anthology horror. And that means I've got my buddy, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein, here with me. He and I talk about a really fun issue of The Unexpected. Uh, some really cool stories and artwork in it. Uh, we talk about that and then uh, a couple other things that uh, we have going on as well. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Bronze Age of Horror Comics. I am here once again with my compadre that is uh, helping me to rifle through some of these crazy DC anthologies from the Bronze Age, and that would be JJG himself, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein. How are you, brother? I'm well. I'm well, Billy. How are you tonight? I am good. You know, I am really enjoying these uh, DC anthologies, and part of that reason is I can tell you that for a long time, I didn't have any DC horror at all, and then when I did, it was not anthology. And I don't know why I didn't buy into these earlier on, but I'm glad that I did. Uh, and I do have some singles. You know, we were just talking uh, off mic here for a minute uh, about, you know, I think this might be the first uh, issue of this series I ever bought. And once I started getting these, I fell in love with them very quickly because I do like anthologies to begin with. And then I do like how, you know, uh, most of them have at least three stories in them. And yeah, there's varying degrees of quality, but I do like how most of the times the artists that they chose for these stories were good with a, you know, horror, sci-fi, mystery, thriller kind of, you know, genre. They were really good. Yeah, I agree. It, it, I I got into the anthologies late, mostly finding them in, you know, the cheapo bins a lot less these days. But that's how I got into them. Same with the war comics. Um and you're right in the, the these you know 70s and early 80s issues the artists are very um suited for the genre they mm -hmm. the art there's usually an intensity to it you know with the coloring and the the heavy inks and the you know the the, the horror backgrounds that they, they had a good bullpen of artists for these for these comics for sure yeah they really did and one of them is the cover artist here, and we'll get to him in a second. And, uh, this is uh, The Unexpected, 167, uh, cover date August 1975. Uh, yeah, but Luis Dominguez. This is a name that I did not know being a Marvel zombie for a long time because I don't believe he's ever done any Marvel work. But once I got to know that name, when I would see that little LD signature on a cover somewhere, uh, I knew it was going to be a, you know, a good one. And this is a really good one here. So the cover to this one. What are your initial thoughts on this cover? The when I first saw it, it, it's the flaming skull that just it grabs your attention, um, mm -hmm. and I you know it, it's a horror book, so I was going to buy it. But it, the cover's great with this this big red skull, the the uh, the white lettering for unexpected, and the, the you know the trade dress, and then the two characters running towards the reader away from the skull with the the shock on horror on their face. It just grabs you. Yeah, it's great. It it has like, you know, it's like a, a shot uh, out, of, out of like a an observatory, which I kind of one thing when I look at is when I look at the telescope there, it almost looks more like a, a weapon, like a cannon. than it does a <laughs> telescope, but it's really, really a cool cover. Like you said, these two like, uh, you know, scientists or whatever are running away from this flaming skull that's coming after them. It looks really serious and 
sinister and ominous. And I really, really love this cover. And uh, then we have the the three story names down here in the bottom right hand corner: Death Watch, Scared Stiff, and Murdered by Mail. And not a lot of you know uh, other stuff. There's no exposition on this cover at all. No word bubbles. Nothing. This is a really good cover that didn't you know overdo it. I agree. And the, the one of the things I thought of as I was reading this issue, the what's supposed to be the telescope in this observatory, to me, looks like the cannon on the <laughs> of the, uh, the 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 old Kenner um, uh, Death Star base. It looks like that cannon to me because it, 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 it doesn't look like a telescope. It looks like a cannon. It's it's. <laughs> Yeah, like some kind of like laser weapon that they're going to use on <laughs> an invading alien ship or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but honestly, that's the only nitpick I have about this cover. I, I love it. It's an excellent cover, like you said. Even the, you know, like there's not a lot of like exposition on the cover. At the top, you get that uh, hooded guy that was on a lot of the unexpected covers. And it says, uh, shocking stories of menace and mystery. And have you the nerve to face the unexpected? And like you said, it's a black background. Cause it's supposed to be like a, a shot of space. And mm-hmm. unexpected is in white and there's red and yellow flaming skull coming at these two people. Yeah, like literally, uh, other than the nitpick of the gun that's supposed to be a telescope, it, this is like a perfect horror cover for me. Yeah, I've always been drawn to skulls. Um, my first tattoo was a skull. So even even if I had seen this as a kid, I would have loved this comic, this cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really, really good one. Yeah, Luis Dominguez and then uh, letters are by uh, Gaspar Saladino. So he's one of the, the mainstays from, I think, even back into the Silver Age and definitely huge in the Bronze Age with lettering a lot of covers, a lot of splash pages. He, I think he came up with a lot of logos as well. Nice. Yep. So, all right. Well, why don't we get into this one here? So we got, like I said, three stories. And the first one we have is <laughs> this is a good one so this one's called scared stiff and uh the initial part of it here kind of reminded me of an ec story a bit and this is a, a script by uh, george cashton who you know he was a dc mainstay he did a lot of horror and a lot of uh, war books as well and then we have pencils and inks by frank redondo which is funny because like when i first started getting into these i thought I thought his name was Nestor Redondo. Like, what's going on here? They, like, you know, put the wrong name on here or something, not thinking there was anybody else on the planet that could have the last name <laughs> Redondo and was an artist. <laughs> Were they related? Do you know? I do not know. I don't know if they are or they not. I, I did find a clip that, and by the time people hear this, they'll have heard this other uh, episode. Uh, I recorded and talked about two episodes of Swamp Thing with Paul Hicks, uh, 11 and 12, right after the Bernie Wrightson material, when it changed to Len Wein and Nestor Redondo. And I inserted a clip into that show where it was, um, I think it might have been somebody that works for DC. I don't know if it's an archivist or something like that. And he was talking about uh, the Filipino guys that had come over because, you know, they thought there was going to be a, a basically a strike. And, you know, a lot of DC artists wanted, you know, more pay and benefits and things like that. So DC was like, oh, crap. These guys are going to walk out on us. So they got on a plane and went over to the Philippines because I think Ernie Chan had said to them, hey, like there's a lot of guys over there that are really good artists. And they didn't mention Frank Redondo in the clip, but they did uh, talk about Nestor Redondo for a minute. So that's why I inserted into that uh, that episode. But, yeah, I don't know that they are, but it almost I almost got the impression that's a, a commonplace name over there. OK, so I'm thinking they probably just, you know, it was just coincidence. Yeah. 
But yeah, this little one here, this is a, this one's kind of wild. Like, I, I like this story. It was fun. It was uh, an eight pager. So it was actually the longest one in the book. Uh, and this is, you know, like a horror, like suspense kind of story. And uh, I'll just read the little one uh, sentence synopsis here that <laughs> the Grand Comics database has. It just says, Mr. Marsden is paralyzed by fear and must try to remember who tried to kill him. <laughs> and that's kind of it here in a nutshell, but there's a lot more to unpack with it. So, yeah, scared stiff. So what did you think of this opening page to the book and to the story? This is a pretty wild opening, right? It is a wild opening. You don't know what's going on until there's a, a the man who appears to be a butler or servant of some kind um, bursts in this door. On the other side, there's been a struggle. And then it's, it's in, you know, a half page splash. And all you see are two feet a silhouette of a hanging body, uh, somebody kind of sneaking out a back door and, uh, the Butler's just in shock. And it's, it's a pretty intense opening. I mean, there's a, there's the struggle, there's this hanging body that you don't see all the horror of it, but it's, uh, it'll grab you. Yeah, it's pretty nasty. Like I said, it reminded me of an EC comic. I mean, EC would have shown the body hanging there, not just a shadow, but it does remind me of that kind of, uh, that type of uh, shock. Yes, definitely. But yeah, like you said, the butler busts in and is like, what's going on? But he was able to save the guy before he died. And he didn't seem to notice the uh, man running out the back there either. So we can see that, you know, it wasn't a suicide attempt. It was, you know, a murder attempt. But yeah, Mr. Marsden's a bit of an older guy here. So, you know, we go to uh, uh, the hospital where he's, you know, trying to uh, rehab from this. And, you know, his doctor's there talking to him. And there's a nurse as well. And he said about... uh to the doctor he's like the next thing i know i woke up here in your clinic completely paralyzed and the doctor says oh you're suffering from shock and he's like someone tried to kill you and he's like oh i i can't you know uh i can't figure out who it is and <laughs> i do like how uh the doctor's like hey we have this uh kind of i don't know if he says it's experimental uh, serum or something like that but he does have uh, a little concoction there that he's going to give to marston to try to help him uh, remember who tried to kill him. So that was kind of wild. It was. And the way he describes it, that this drug will loosen up your mind, help you open your subconscious. And I'm like, are they giving him LSD? Are they giving him psychotic <laughs> drug? This old man who's paralyzed after being hung. And, you know, then he starts to have the, the memories. But, yeah, it's sort of an, it, almost an awkward conversation. Because... Mm -hmm. um, they don't ex they don't come out and say that he's paralyzed because he was hanging. They say he's paralyzed because he's in shock, which is, yeah, okay. But yeah, then they give him these drugs. That's just a little odd. It just it struck me as funny. Oh yeah, for sure. And <laughs> when we get you know to the end of this one, that's one of the questions I'm going to have is why did the doctor give him that serum? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I also thought, what is this Project MK Ultra here? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what do they give this guy? Because they did use that stuff on, you know, inmates and things like that. So I'm thinking, is that what they're kind of going for here? But it is funny. He does start to remember, but not the actual assault where, you know, he was hung. He remembers back to, you know, a few days ago and how he was, you know, out on his horse riding around because I guess he had, you know, it seems like he's got a lot of money. He's got this huge house and he has horses and he was riding one horse around him. Uh, he, you know, got like, a, a, I don't want to say like assaulted by somebody in a mask that, threw some kind of explosive, you know, in front of his horse, like right at or right in front of his horse. And, of course, the, the horse bucks him off and almost kills him. 
And he's like, some maniac was trying to kill me. And that's an interesting scene there. I love the artwork, though. What do you think of that page? Yeah, it, it, it's great. The, he, he's, he's obviously in casual yet fancy clothes riding this horse. And then when he gets thrown, he ends up in the mud and he's all, um, there's a big sploosh sound effect. It's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's all done well. It's a nice action sequence for sure. Yeah, it looks really good. And I've said this a bunch of times on uh, different episodes that animals are not easy to draw. And uh, Frank Redondo, the horse looks really good in this. It, no, there's three different kind of scenes with the horse. Or I'm sorry, four. And in all of them, there's detail and everything looks like, you know, pretty good. Yes, it does, for sure. And the, even the the action of the guy on the horse, it all looks realistic, I guess it would be a nice word for it. But um, yeah, very good art, for sure. And then we switch back to him talking to the doctor and nurse, and he's like, who was this guy? He Why was he trying to murder me? And the doctor's like, his pulse is, you know, going up like a trip hammer. Calm down, calm down. And, you know, they talk uh, back and forth for a minute here, and then, <clears throat> is this uh, a cameo by Stan Lee here or what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is obviously supposed to be Stan Lee, right? <laughs> I, I would think, yeah. He, he, he Minus the glasses, it looks like, you know, he comes in smiling with the mustache and everything. First thing I thought of, it's like, he's doing Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Frank uh, just was doing it just as a funny or had an axe to grind or something here, but it is hilarious. I was just laughing out loud at this. I'm like, is Stan Lee running around here in this DC comic? And it wasn't, you know, uh, it doesn't look like he was trying to, like, you know, lampoon him or anything like that. But, yeah, the guy oh, comes no, in. No. Yeah, no. no. It just looks like that's all. Yeah, it just looks like pretty much exactly like he did back when he probably had a full head of hair, though. Uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, our buddy Stan Lee here comes in and says, hello, I came as fast as I could when I heard the news about Uncle. So it's a nephew of uh, Mr. Marston here. And uh, he goes, uh, he goes, what does he say? Uh, what are you two staring at? And the doctor says, Ernest, I think Dr. Fisk and his nurse suspect you of trying to kill me. Well, I guess I'm sorry. Marston says that. And he says, what? And he says, why shouldn't you, Ernest? With all your gambling debts, your money and all the money you could inherit. So, okay, they're trying to throw somebody out here as a possible uh, suspect for this murder here. But he grabs the doctor and he's ready to belt him, which is kind of funny. And he says, Dr. Fisk, you may be one of my uncle's favorite people, but if you don't take that back, I'll. <laughs> the nurse has to step in. <laughs> yeah, th that seems a little contrived, but yeah, it, it, it's. It's doing what it's supposed to do and give us a suspect for who could possibly try to attack this Mr. Marsden. Yeah, because, I mean, it's only an eight-page story, and how much can you, you know, screw exactly. around? Yeah, how much can you screw around before you set up and you have to, you know, do the big reveal, I guess. Um, yeah. But Because at this point, this is it. This is the only person in this guy's life outside of the nurse and the doctor that, you know, we meet and you think, oh, well, maybe this is the killer. And like I said, now they kind of threw it out there. And um, the doctor tells the guy to get out or he's going to call the police and this and that. And he says, then we see Marston. He's uh, alone in his room. And he says, I even have to sleep in this frozen position. How long will this go on? Will I ever find out who? And all of a sudden, somebody opens the door and you hear creak. And he goes, of course, I should have realized he'd come back to kill me before my memory returned. And he's like, help, help somebody. And he's yelling. And the nurse and the doctor come in. And they're like, what's the matter? And he's like, there was somebody breaking in through the window. And they're like, no, there's not, dude. And, of course, you don't see anybody else. So you're thinking, is this guy losing it or was there somebody there? 
Yeah, you don't. It's hard to tell what's going on. You, you know that the the guy's freaking out and that the doctor comes in and everything, but there's not a lot of like we don't know what's happening other than what's going through his mind as he's going through this paralysis and you know being alone in the dark and everything. Yeah, and he does look at the doctor after the doctor's like, oh, you know, you're you're dreaming. It was a hallucination, and all of a sudden, Marston says, wait a minute. No wonder you thought I was dreaming. It's starting to come back to me. And the doctor says, what is? And he says, the horror of last night after I went to bed. Someone out on the balcony. And he's thinking to himself. And he's like, you see, he gets punched in the face. And then he gets hung up there. And <laughs> we see how he got hung by this, uh, you know, intruder. But the intruder didn't have a mask on. And he can see, you know, we see his feet dangling there. And the butler banging on the door, Mr. Marsden, what's wrong? And as this person was going out the back door, they turned around to take a look at him. Yeah, and it, it, and it turns out to be the doctor. And it, it's a nice callback to the beginning, you know, the first page of the story. Um, it, it's done well with the butler saying what's wrong, and then you see the face, and it's, you know, it's, it's that, that quick reveal. You know, the guy's got the collar up, but you can clearly see it's the doctor and everything. And then he starts to come out of the paralysis, paralysis, which is just a really neat um, twist. Is he's what the doctor told him? Like if you remember, then you won't be paralyzed. It's actually working. But here he is in the doctor's clutches again. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy too. And you know, Marston's like, yeah, like I'm better now because you know you told me once I got over this, the paralysis would go away. Nurse, call the police. And then we see the nurse is in on it, too. So you're like, oh, man, this old guy's screwed. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. They tape his mouth shut. And the doctor says, you probably figured out our motive, too. eh? All the years you were promising me money to build a new clinic. You never told me I'd have to wait till you're dead to collect it. And he goes, I couldn't have told. I couldn't tell you I had no intention of using your money for a clinic. Pearl and I had a better plan for all that wealth. So I guess, you know, the guy got the nurse in on it because they're a couple. And he says, we couldn't wait around for you to die now, could we? And they take him over the window like they're going to chuck him out the window. It's a pretty crazy scene here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, the one panel where they're putting the tape over his mouth, and it's it's a, a square panel. It's just his eyes with the two hands putting the tape over his mouth. Very intense and very kind of... Um, horrifying in a sense that here's this old man and now he's being punished again by these two people that are obviously younger and stronger than he is just an it's an intense picture if you ask me yeah it's creepy it's really good because you can see him sweating and it's like you know what can, he's there's nothing he can do about this like i said there's two people that are younger and stronger than him he's this old man and the doctor's like a pretty decent sized guy too and it's like they're gonna kill this old man and of course you know it's a doctor and a nurse and just this old man. And if he's dead, it's just their word against a dead man. So obviously they're going to just go with, you know, whatever he says. Yep. And what does the doctor say? When your broken body is found in the morning, we'll tell the police you snapped out of your paralysis and went sleepwalking. Who will ever suspect that? And they take him out onto a fire escape and they're ready to chuck him off of it. And all of a sudden there's a police car. That's a really good panel right there, too. I like that. Yeah, with the spotlight in the police car and car number three. Hold it right there, Dr. Fisk. Yeah, that's a that's a because obviously this old guy is about to get pummeled by these people as, as they toss 
Yeah, and then we see uh, Marsden say, then it was you, Ernest. I saw slipping into my window, and Ernest, or Stan Lee, <clears throat> says, yes, Fisk had left orders not to let me in the front way, and I wanted to talk to you. And then, <laughs> how about this bottom panel with Stan Lee here? That looks like one of the most Stan Lee panels of the whole thing here, and he says, when I heard you recalling last night's attempt on your life, my first impulse was to call the police. I didn't think Fisk would try again tonight. And he has this, like, it almost looks like a smile on his face. It's kind of a wild panel. Yeah, he he looks a little too happy to have just saved his uncle from being or, uh, uncle from being killed in a fairly gruesome manner. <laughs> yeah, and then they, the uncle has his arm around him and says, I think you've finally grown into a man. I'm not sorry anymore that you'll be inheriting all my money. <laughs> and then there's a caption. Twice before, fate had saved Marston's life, but it was the third rescue that was the most unexpected. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's a nice little it's a nice twist for you know uh, the unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then on the day we're recording this, I or was it maybe the day before? I can't remember, but I tweeted out a picture of the next page, which is an ad uh, that you can for five dollars plus uh, maybe so many cents for postage. Learn the secret powers of the deadliest killers in the Orient. You can become a ninja for $5. It's an amazing ad. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, there is there is enough text on that, like, half a page to learn how to become a ninja uh, or them trying to convince you to send them $5 plus uh, uh, postage to learn how to become a ninja to, like, put any Bronze Age writer to shame. Oh, yeah. And then there's even a pension law enforcement agencies. I mean, this this ad is so over the top. Yeah. Yeah, they're really trying to get your five bucks. I wonder how, how many people they suckered. <laughs> they probably only get a, a what, a, an eight-page pamphlet that's the size of a, a digest or something like that that has, you know, a couple drawings of ninjas and furlings, right? Yeah, it's probably like a... Like, uh, a, a like maybe the size of a three by five card with like a, a ring binder and you've got like five techniques on it. And they're like, here you go. You're a ninja now. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. So that was a pretty good one. There it was an interesting way to start the book off, uh, but uh, not uh, anything to do with the cover, but don't worry, we'll get to that. So the next one is murder by mail. Uh, and this one's only a four pager and it's a script by Carl Wessler and the artwork by an artist I have never heard of before. Romy Gamboa. Have you ever heard of that artist? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. this was a new one on me. Um, but yeah, the, the little synopsis here on the website says, Leo, um, sorry, Leo Roberts mails a bomb to the person he feels is responsible for his lack of a writing career. Um, and that's kind of what goes on here. I mean, Leo didn't, you know, maybe Leo doesn't know he just sucks at it. Maybe that's why he, his writing career wasn't great. And then you know, hey, there's also another guy involved here that kind of uh, kind of screws him out of some stuff here. So this was kind of like a revenge story, but ends up with a, a bit of a twist ending. Yeah, it, <clears throat> I, I read the story. I had to go back and just skim it again because it was a little confusing with the names. And there's a lot packed in to each panel that you kind of have to really pay attention to who's screwing over who. Um, but it's a fine story and the art, I thought the art was really good. Yeah. They, like we said, this guy, uh, Leo, uh, he feels his buddy Wally Garner, uh, screwed him, you know, out of some jobs here. And we do see along the lines that, uh, this uh, Wally guy 
was was talking to some kind of a, like an executive type guy here that uh, seems to uh, like him better than Leo or doesn't like Leo. He, at one point he says Leo script stinks. So I guess they want a movie script. Yeah, it, it, from what I gathered when I first read it is the this guy, Leo, gets screwed out of some writing contract or some writing deal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out the guy he thinks who screwed him out of it was pressured by the studio or, you know, is the head of the studio or whatever. The executive. Said, yeah. Says Leo's scripts are terrible. And then he gives this other guy money to rework the script and make it better. I mean, is that that? Yeah, it worked. Yeah, I don't know if it was a total rewrite or just rework what Leo had sent in. But he does say, yeah, Leo, I'm desperate. Wally Leo's script stinks. And Wally does say, hey, he's a friend of mine. It wouldn't be right. And then this uh, sleazy executive says, tell you what, I'll pay him an extra thousand. He needs the money. And Wally's like, well, and there's a girl there, too, that's kind of uh, rubbing on uh, Wally's shoulders. And I thought, is this his girlfriend or is this some uh, girl that works for the studio that between the money and the girl, they're getting Wally to uh, do what they want, even though he knows it's going to screw over his buddy Leo. Yeah, that, I, that's the impression I got that it's this is all in an effort to, you know, get get Wally to do what the studio wants. Yeah. And Leo's so pissed off about it. He's going to mail something to his buddy Wally. And all I know is, listen, I don't know a ton of things about explosives. I'm no explosives expert, but, you know, he mails his buddy Wally a letter. But I guess unbeknownst to him, he moved. So the letter gets sent back to Leo and Leo rips open the letter. And I guess there was some kind of explosive inside a letter. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what (laughs) playing at, you know, this guy's this guy Leo in his wallowing in his self-loathing, you know, begins to hate the mail. And then he gets this return of the letter he sent and it blows up. So it's I mean, I get that's the twist is that it, you know, it's his own letter and everything, but yeah, mm-hmm. sure. He he rips it and it blows up. Okay. <laughs> not the pipe bomb we're used to in you know <laughs> modern mail stories yeah i mean if it would have been like a little box like a little package or something like that i could understand it but it's just literally a letter i'm thinking to myself i don't know if we have the technology in 2022 to send somebody a flat letter and there's an explosive in it yeah exactly <laughs> but i do love <laughs> the final panel of the book you see it now leo your heart stops permanently as the letter bomb you sent explodes. And then it just says, blam, in these huge letters. And there's yep. like a, you know, a panel with all this like, you know, debris flying around. I don't know if that's maybe supposed to be Leo blowing to pieces there or what, but I love that panel. Yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a fun little ending um, with the big, the blam. And then another unexpected rejection by the U S postal service. <laughs> Yeah, because I guess, too, at one point they did make a, a point during the story to also uh, Carl Wessler, the writer, did uh, put in there that uh, Leo does hate the mail because he got a lot of rejection letters through the mail. So that's why he was like, oh, the freaking mail. I hate it. And then a letter he sent through the mail gets sent back through the mail and blows him up. <laughs> My favorite thing in this story is that as we're seeing Leo 
you know, just deteriorate. It starts off, he's, his shirt's open, he's on, he's, his beard is thick, he's smoking, he's drinking, he's obviously miserable. Mm-hmm. The, the way he's drawn, he almost looks like, to me, um, the father from the original Amityville horror, as he's going more and more insane throughout that movie. You know, and his beard gets bigger, his, his hair is, goes wilder. Um, and his eyes are all intense. That's what these pictures, the way Leo's drawn, make what, what I thought of. So that I thought that was pretty cool because there is an intensity to this Leo character that that really comes through in the art. Yeah, yeah. You know what? That is a good point. I do agree with you there that that's how that kind of looks. He does look but, like that character. Yeah, and it's a fine story. I mean, it, you know. Like you know the yeah he he rips a letter and it blows up but sure but yeah it's it's a, it's a it's an okay story it's, it's it's the weakest of the three in my mind um but it you know it's what is it four pages you said right yeah it's only a four pager so it's it's that's tough man to try yeah. to get out something decent in four pages like good luck with that <laughs> yeah and and they're you know they have it all they have the the horror they have the twist they have the you know the exposition so it it works mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah it's it's an interesting little tale and it's funny because all, all three of these stories have these ironic endings to them you know they're they're all kind of the same in that way now how mm-hmm. they get to that is different very different in every one but they do all tie together with uh, that kind of ending yeah definitely so yeah now the last one is called death watch and this is a six pager and it's a carl wessler script and then pencils and inks you know the artwork by ruben yandok and i recognize that name right away because he did i think he did the artwork on all of them but maybe it was two out of the three stories uh marvel has that one character or i think he's called something different now but back in the 70s he was called a scarecrow you know that guy oh yeah yeah he first appeared in uh uh, machine man comic right uh i i'm not sure i know i have one called dead of night that he was on the cover of and it's a really super cool cover and then what else was he in i feel like oh. he might have been in like a marvel two and one or something crazy one of those books i know who you mean it's not the guy who appeared that's jack o'lantern was in moon knight uh not oh. moon knight, machine man uh the scarecrow yes i know who you mean i have one yeah. of those yeah, yeah, he looks like a legit scarecrow. But yeah, that's who did the artwork, this Ruben Yandok guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, he did his first couple of appearances. I think uh, the writer, oh gosh, what's that guy's name? That crazy dude that worked for Marvel for a little while here and there. He didn't do a ton of work for them, but he did some that I think it was like I read somewhere, I don't know if it was Alter Ego or Back Issue or something like that, that some of the people in the office thought the dude was a saint worshiper or something. The hell was that guy's name? Um. Let me, yeah, let me look it up here. Dead of Night 11. Let's see what that says, because I can't remember the guy's name. I almost feel like it was, uh, you know, one of those guys that did some work for Marvel, but not a ton. All right, let's see here. Look this guy up, because it's driving me nuts, and I can't remember his name. Uh, Scott, no, not him. That's not him. Scott Edelman. No, that's not the guy I'm thinking of, but that's actually who wrote this guy. So I must be just getting them confused, but I think this guy, Scott Edelman, I think he did, uh, write all the stories. There was like three of them and they kind of connected, but it went from dead of night to like, Oh, I I feel like it was Marvel two in one because I think the thing was in it. 
Oh, yeah, here it is. The Mar- he appears next in Marvel Spotlight 26, then Marvel 2 and 118. And one or both of those subsequent issues had, uh, I think, Ruben Yandok artwork. And that's where I remembered him from, that crazy character. Okay, I think I have that, the, you said Marvel premiere, right? It was the that showcase book, right? I think I think it's Dead of Night, Marvel Spotlight, and then Marvel Two and One. Yeah, yeah. I think I have that Marvel Spotlight one because I did did read a, an issue with that Scarecrow character. Yeah, it was crazy. I love that character because it was just so off the wall and crazy. You know, in the first one there, Dead of Night, it's more of just this supernatural character that's like a kind of used in a revenge kind of way. But then in the subsequent ones, he's more of a a heroic type character, but it's just a crazy character. I love the way Scott Edelman wrote him. <laughs> it the, was great, but yeah. When I read, he reminded me a little bit of, uh, um, uh, brother power, the geek. You oh yeah. It shows up in the D- couple DC comics. He's kind of, kind of off the wall like that, you know, a little bit horrific, but also a good guy. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I think so too. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But all right, well, yeah, let's get into this one here. So this one here, like I said, was a a six pager, and this one uh, synopsis is the the astronomer Wallace Horton finds a meteor that is going to crash into Earth, and he's convinced it will kill him. And <laughs> that sounds crazy, but there is a specific reason he does think it's going to kill him, and uh, we'll get into that here. So uh, again, first page here, we get you know Death Watch, and we see this uh, Wallace Horton, and he's looking through the. You know, and I will give uh, uh, Ruben Yandok credit here. The uh, air quotes telescope looks very similar to the one that's on the cover as well, which looks like we said, like a giant like laser gun. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got view screens. It's He's got this this weird seat that he's working the, the controls for this telescope. But yeah, he he he's, he drew a giant space laser <laughs> and he's looking through it, too, and he can see. Uh, this crazy meteorite, you know, coming towards Earth. And it does look like it has a skull face in it, like it's on fire. And he says, good God in heaven, it's a hideous, a hellish monstrosity. And, you know, one of the assistants there is his daughter. And she's, uh, her name's June. And she's like, what is it, Dad? And the other uh, assistant says, wait here, June, I'll have a look. So I don't know if him and June, I kind of have the impression they might, you know, be an item. But he looks and he goes, a very ordinary meteor, I'd say. It'll burn up before it can reach Earth. And Wallace Horton says, you see nothing unusual about the grinning skull? And the guy turns and looks at him and says, grinning skull? It was only your imagination. And he's like, no, I saw what I saw. And the guy is sweating, and you can tell he's really upset. I really like this first page. Yeah, the, you can. the way um, the Horton character is drawn, he's he's almost visibly shaking in, in the second panel of the where the young, handsome man is looking through the telescope. And then, you know, he's got these big, white, bushy eyebrows and big, white uh, sideburns that are, it, he looks like the, uh, the, you know, the Doc Brown character from Back to the Future, <laughs> you know, with yeah. the walk, like almost the mad scientist look to him. Um, and mm-hmm. he, he's frantic. The the one thing when the, the, the young guy is walking up the steps and he says, wait here, June, all I could think is, don't worry, June, men are talking. <laughs> it's the way that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, why don't you go get your hair done, June? Us men yeah. need to look at this telescope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, yeah, I really love how uh, 
Ruben Yandok, I love his artwork in this uh, issue, or this story. I really like it, especially the way he portrays Horton here. You know, when you flip to the next page, that uh, middle panel in the middle section there, I, I love uh, these crazy old professor scientist types. He almost reminds me of, you know, not in visually, but the, the character itself, like, you know, an old Car- you know, Boris Karloff sci-fi horror film from back in the, like, you know, 40s. And he has the glasses on and they're hanging off his nose. I love that look. Yeah, they're yeah they're they're tiny round spectacles. Um, he he's obviously drawn to be that wise old man that everybody listens to kind of thing. Except in this case, nobody believes what he's saying, and he's he's getting more and more upset about it. And you can see it in the in the panels, you know, especially that middle one you mentioned where he's he's looking up, and it's like, why doesn't anybody believe me? And He's, you can tell he's getting more frantic and concerned as the story goes, and it's it's all because of that great art. Mm, yeah, he's you can very very frustrated with you know the fact that he's you know the head guy, the top guy, even though he is getting a bit older, and he's like, you know, not only is this crazy meteorite going to hit Earth, there's something you know sinister about it. And everybody's like, dude, you're working too hard. And I love how once June and uh, the other assistant here leave. Um, He's, you know, kind of like monologuing to himself about what he needs to do here. And, um, oh, David is the other uh, uh, assistant here. And he says, <laughs> I'll send for one of my workers, you know, to check this out to see if they can see the skull. And he goes and gets like a security guard. And the guy's looking through the telescope. <laughs> Crazy part. Yeah. Yeah. And he's mm. carefully tell me what you see. And he, the the intensity is what really really does it in this story i mean it's it's so mm-hmm. page count but the the it's almost the madness building um panel by panel is is done really well but yeah you've got this this uh you know security guard with the hat tilted back his hair bust, and he says <laughs> oh is that a meteor <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great and the next panel too where again the sweat's coming down off his head and the glasses and he looks really upset and he thinks to himself he didn't see that frightful grinning skull either. Then it must be a warning meant for me alone. So now he starts to, you know, concoct this in his head that not only is this meteorite coming to Earth and it's going to crash and kill a lot of people, it's specifically coming to kill him. So that's crazy that, you know, he starts uh, really panicking because, you know, it, nobody wants to <laughs> nobody wants to die at all, let alone die that way. And he thinks to himself, maybe I'm meant to be its only victim and. You know, they shows them at dinner at the house. And that's why I'm thinking, oh, there must be something up with uh, June and uh, her buddy here. Is it David? And uh, he says to the the doctor says to him or professor says, I am only afraid that the media will kill others when it comes for me. And his daughter, June, says, that's just plain nonsense, dad. And he said, I can't make anyone believe. And, you know, they think that he's cracking up, they say. And he's been working too hard and nobody will believe him. He's bringing other people in to check it out, too, like other scientists, it looks like. And he really starts to snap out when they don't see anything. And they said, maybe you need a few days rest. And he says, you doubt my competence as an astronomer or worse, my sanity. And he says, I hope at least one of you survives to tell the world I was right. <laughs> yeah. And, the, the, you know, net, so not only did it it start with, you know, so the, the kid doesn't believe him, does the, the security guard doesn't see it. So he's starting to get that that madness about it. But now there's paranoia involved that he thinks that this is 
something that's going to happen to him. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just something. It's not just the, that this meteor could do all this damage. It's something personal to him. And it, that that the panels at the end there when he's yelling at the other scientists, it, it, the it, the franticness is just reaching top top levels. Yeah, and I mean it's going to come to like a fever pitch here at the end where, you know, he sees he comes outside of the observatory and he says, "I hope that blasted meteor smashes the the observatory to dust." So he's like really flipping out. Yep. And then yeah. he looks up into the sky, and you can see it then. Looking at the sky. <laughs> yeah, he, he yells up at the sky and says, "Come, come, show those fools that Wallace Horton is greater than they'll ever be." I'm thinking, great, a meteor's coming to hit the planet. And you you now have switched from trying to, you know, convince people it's coming and it's there's something wrong about it to ah, just come and smash me in the observatory because then I'll be right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what is wrong with you, old guy? He's really flipped. Yes, he, he's flipped his lid. But he does he does come back just a little bit mm-hmm. to tell June and David and that they need to get away from here because he, he's obviously not going to go, but he wants them to be safe. It tells him to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love too how he's trying to talk to the two of them and says, you know, you know, get June out of here. And they're like, okay, dude, we'll we'll get out of here. And well, at first he says, let me look again into the uh, the telescope. And uh, I do see on the, I guess it's page story page four here, we see that uh, our buddy uh, Ruben Yandok, even back when they were at dinner, there's a starting to draw June with some uh, pretty big cleavage here. <laughs> All of a sudden, I'm like, what? I'm looking at these panels thinking, man, it seems like he's going out of his way to make it like bigger and bigger. Who used to do that? Wally Wood with Power Girl? <laughs> yeah, exactly. She is definitely drawn quite busty in the last few panels of this story. Yeah, like I said, it's like he's going out of his way. I mean, and now she is in like a, I don't know if it's supposed to be a really nice dress or something, because David's there in a shirt and tie. And, you know, the father, even when they were at home eating dinner, um, that's how they were dressed. And it just looked like the dress kind of changed color a little bit. And so I don't know if she changed dresses. Like you said, it's like there's more and more uh, popping out with June here. And <laughs> the the Professor Horton finally says, like, you got to get her out of here. And June, you got to leave. And she says, yes, Dad, but you've got to come with us. And he says, no, June, my life's work is here. If the observatory is destroyed, I want to go with it. And the two of them are kind of like, okay, no problem. See you later. And <laughs> I'm thinking, what? Call the police or something and be like, this guy's off his nut. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the just, the, when they decide they're going to leave to what is they, it says the next morning Exodus began, it's a very um, odd panel and that they don't seem quite as concerned as you think they would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's out there yelling at the sky again, uh, yelling at this um, uh, meteor coming to get him. And he says, I don't fear you. I welcome you. My death will be my monument inscribed in men's minds with he ranked with Galileo as a giant of astronomy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, uh, okay, I don't know about that, pal, but uh, we see here on the very final page that the uh, meteorite actually doesn't hit the observatory or him, but something else crazy happens. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I, this was a great twist. I, you, you always expect a twist in these stories. You know it's coming. But I mm-hmm. thought this was awesome. The, the, 
the meteor plunges into, I don't know if it's the sea, you know, they were on the coast or if this is some big mountain lake, but it plunges into the water and he got the Horton flips out. No, no, you deceived me. You cheated me of my glory. You know, like the glory of <laughs> battlefield, whatever. And you, mm-hmm. the, with the meteors splash has made these huge waves and it creates a, a tidal wave and it, it swallows this guy, this guy Horton up as he's on the rocks, cursing the meteor that didn't kill him. And yet he, here he is, he dies in the, in the, the foamy uh, waves of the sea. Great twist ending for this guy who was getting more and more paranoid as the story went on to the point where he had these delusions of grandeur and he's just swept out to sea and nothing's happened to the observatory. None of the things he thought were going to happen came true. Um, It was, I, I don't know. I thought it was a great ending for this, this story. Yeah, it was pretty good, and I do like how, uh, you know, like we said, he was completely over the edge, and I do like that about uh, Carl Wessler's script here. He, I think he did a great job writing uh, Horton going, you know, deeper and deeper into, like, basically madness here and insanity, and at the end, too, the artwork, uh, like I said earlier, you know, animals are not easy to draw, and a lot of times for artists, like, water is difficult to draw, too. But I think it looks pretty good here when the meteorite hits the water and it splashes up and starts foaming because you figure that's, I'm sure, you know, it's coming in and comes through the atmosphere or something like that. It's probably thousands of degrees, like, you know, hot. So once it hits, it creates this, like, foam and starts splashing and going wild. I really like that. I thought that was really well done by uh, Yandok there. Yeah, it's excellent because it's obviously a rocky shore. Um, and, the, you know, the waves, it's it's, it's quite terrifying in the sense that these waves are huge and there's the blue green of the water that's really intense and works well in in this darkness because it's nighttime um yeah just excellent excellent panel work and nice conclusion on this story yeah it was really good you know it's definitely uh, uh one of the better ones in the book here so well let's talk about that so if you had to had to rank these you know which you know which one was your favorite uh, the third story, the uh, uh, Death Watch, the cover story, um, that's my favorite. Then the Scared Stiff with the, you know, the old guy being paralyzed after being hung because he can't remember what happened. Mm-hmm. And then Murder by Mail, nice little filler between the two. So, you know, I'd, I'd give it, you know, an A, B plus, B minus for the, 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 the three stories. Yeah, I'd rank them the same as well. The third story would be my first, and then the first story would be second, and the second story would be third, you know, if I had to rank them. And the second story was pretty funny, too. It was kind of cool, but like I said, it was only four pages, and then the art wasn't bad or anything like that. It's just the pencils were a little more loose uh, on that one, pencils and ink, so I didn't care for that one quite as much uh, artwork-wise either, so that's why I would definitely say that Murder by Mail was the third my yeah. third favorite out of the book. But yeah, it was, again, three really fun stories. And then I did mention one of the ads, uh, the, uh, you know, send send your five bucks in to be a ninja. But there were some other really good ones in here too. Like there was a DC house ad, like right in the center of the book where the staples are. Um, actually, there's two, I'm sorry. Uh, one that's on the left-hand side of the page uh, for uh, the amazing world of DC comics. Um, and you could order issues three, four, five, or six. 
And that's a really cool ad there because it has, uh, you know, the guys from House of Mystery and House of Secrets there, Cain and Abel. And then it has Swamp Thing and it says, don't worry, Swamp Thing fans, I'm in this issue, too. <laughs> yeah, that's a great ad. And then the the opposite page, mm. this is my favorite house ads from this era because it most of these books um when i see them i, I try to get their good stuff it's, a lot of them are collected um but this is the a great house ad with the first we gave you the world's greatest superheroes and you have the the lineup of canary mm. captain marvel superman batman wonder woman green lantern and dead man and then the uh, then we introduce top quality mystery tales with all these great horror books. And mm-hmm. then the pre- now DC presents fantasy at its best in our all new adventure line with Justice, Claw, Tor, Stalker, Warlord, Beowulf, and Kong. It's a great ad because these books are all fun, fun things to read. Yeah, it's great. That is a really, really good ad. And you know, I don't have a ton of uh, books uh, from the bottom section there. I do, I think, either I have all of them or I'm only one short of the Justice Inc. Claw, I don't know that I have any at all. Tor, I think I have a trade that has some of that material in it, if not all of it. And then Stalker, I might have one or two randoms. Warlord, I have like three or four maybe. Beowulf, I do not have. I've never read that. And then Kong, I think I might have the first issue of that and that's it. I've been picking up the early Warlords um, recently. It was a book my brother read in the 80s, not the old stuff, but when it was coming out on the newsstand. Okay. And I kind of liked the character. Um, and I I found some of the early stuff cheap in the last year or two. And it, it's a really fun book. Most of the other ones, I've only read one or two here and there. Um, Claw, I've definitely read a couple issues. Um, and I think I've read one or two Kong stalker and beowulf not so much i i don't bother with too many from this line just because when you see those in the bins you also tend to see some of the horror anthologies or the war anthology books maybe some old js um justice league of america books and i gravitate to those first so yeah and i like you said great ad overall in the, the middle yeah. section where it says about the mystery tales too you get kane and abel phantom stranger specter swamp thing and then two of the other hosts uh from horror anthology books as well i think that might be from the witching it, hour yeah it's the witch from the witching hour and then the i forget where the 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 crone who showed who's between swamp thing and specter with the white hair which yeah. one she shows up in but yeah, the it's they're just neat headshots. Um, I love that Phantom Stranger. I I don't know if that's a Paro or not, but uh, it's this is I've seen this ad a couple times in books from this era, and it's such a good ad. Oh yeah, it's great, and I love too because it looks like they just lifted artwork from specific books and kind of shrunk it down somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, you can tell like in that very top one where it shows uh, um, not Superman, but uh right next to him there on the left you can see uh captain marvel there he looks like right out of one of the books from um the 1970s i'm trying to think of who the artist was that drew that book when it came back out uh who was that i can't even think of who that was offhand well it's the it's the classic shazam guy whose name i'm not not remembering but i think that 
that picture is what's in the not in the corner box, but what's in the banner of the Shazam books is that it's that that Shazam. image. Yeah. Yeah, that image. And then Dead Man, that definitely looks like an image from, um, you know, maybe his run. I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of where he was first, what run he was in. Was that not showcase? What was he in? But it yeah, that looks maybe Neil Adams, maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, it looks it looks great. It's a great ad. Definitely. Definitely lifted from other art for sure. Yeah, that day they definitely didn't get somebody to just just draw that uh, wholesale. But then there's a uh, Black Dragon Fighting Society, uh, Count Dante. He's in here, too. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's the kind of the the kung fu ad that i think everybody thinks of right is that count mm-hmm. a one with the you know he's got the the death punch or whatever it's called yeah <laughs> but i i in terms of the two i i'd send away for the ninja book first oh absolutely yeah for sure <laughs> they look way cooler <laughs> and then i do like too there was another uh, house ad right before the death watch story uh, when you flip to that first story page on the left-hand side, there's a, a an advertisement for, uh, uh, I think they're, uh, they say two more king-size specials, but treasury editions, basically. That's a really good ad. Yep. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the famous first edition treasuries, but mm-hmm. that Batman one, the special all-villain issue, that's a good one. That's one I'd like to add to my collection for sure. Yeah, that looks great, and it says that you can get a Flash one. And or I'm sorry, it says Batman Collector's Edition, Flash Famous First Edition, and then Batman and Flash Editions. And yeah, wow. So you can get them for a dollar fifty. And I'm like, um, can I send this in still? <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible? Can I somehow hold DC to this? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh man, but yeah, there's some other goods too. I, I'm again right in the middle of the Death Watch story to uh, another house ad, and there is just like uh, all of. Uh, Again, the uh, Treasury Editions, again, which I don't have very many DC Treasuries. I did get the Bible one with the Joe Kubert cover and Nesta Redondo interiors, which is absolutely incredible. I do have the Ghosts uh, one from this advertisement as well, but I think that might be the only two I have from this uh, ad. The only one I have from this, actually, that's not true. I have the Shazam one, and I have the Christmas with the Superhero one. Oh, cool. And it's the Shazam one that has the the cartoon Shazam, not the photo cover one. Oh, but not you, the television show one, the one up in the right hand corner. Yeah, but you can see in the in this ad that that Shazam pose in the photo cover one is mm-hmm. the Shazam from the house ad. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, good catch there. Yeah, these I are great, man. Ghost one. That's one I, I keep an eye out for. I haven't, I don't see that one, and I haven't seen it at a price I can afford. Uh, yeah, I, I got that one years ago at a show, a smaller show, and it was maybe in New Jersey, if I'm remembering correctly, and there was a guy there selling treasuries for, I think, 10 bucks a piece or two for 15 <laughs> Yeah, and I grabbed that one, and I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. And I mean, now I have some omnibus editions, so I do have some of these stories in that as well. But still, it's so cool to have a treasury edition. Treasury editions are awesome. Yeah, I I will grab treasuries whenever that I can get them at a decent price. Um, with the exception of those famous first editions, I tend to pass on those. 
the I don't have a Rudolph one yet, but there were two or three, maybe even four yeah. Trek Rudolph ones. I'd like to get one of those eventually because um, I do like Christmas comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'd like to get that Bible one one of these days because the, the Qbert art or the Qbert cover and the uh, Nestor Redondo art is something I'd love to see. Yeah, that one's really good. I actually just ended up getting that one within the last like year or two. And I think I paid 20 bucks for it, which still for that is not bad because those are very expensive these days, too. And I did they reprint that one? They may have reprinted. I that think they one. did. Yeah, I think recently they did. So maybe that's why the price wasn't so high on that one, because you could get a reprint. Could be. But yeah, yeah. trash fun. And I, I love these ads for them for sure. Yeah, I think I have. Now that I'm thinking about it, I do have that ghosts one. And I think there was a house of mystery one, too, that I haven't. Oh, yeah. Seeing some of that artwork in that huge treasury, you know, size for books is great. I love it. Those are like, oh, man, anytime I see those, you know, if I can grab one off of eBay or uh, at a shop or a show or whatever, if it's within reach, I grab them because they're like you said, treasury editions are awesome. Yeah. And one of the things I've I've noticed it because there are a lot of treasury ads in DC Comics. Mm -hmm. They just always have something. This issue is sold out. You can't get this one, kids. (laughs) Yeah, it, it does say that. You know, it's just a funny marketing ploy, I guess. But yeah, sold out. Can't buy the Batman one, kids. Yeah, yeah, it does say, sorry, this issue is sold out. And it's got a a big uh, arrow pointing down at the Batman one. And then it says sold out across the front of it to a yellow black banner. (laughs) That's too funny. Yep. All right. Well, we can wrap things up here, man. This was another good one here. You and I are knocking out these anthologies, you know, left and right. And I'm really having a good time with them. And hopefully we're going to bang out a bunch more. And then uh, by the time people hear this episode, too, we can uh, let them in on a little secret here. We're going to have a little uh, fun thing uh, that we're going to put out uh, right around Halloween uh, this October, where we're going to cover a a certain five issue uh, little series and a one shot that came out uh, a few years later as well. We won't say what it is specifically, but uh, it's a it's a really fun one. It took me a while to collect all five issues because the first issue of this one sometimes goes for crazy money. But I think I ended up getting it for 10 bucks, which at the time was a steal. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, yeah, look forward to that uh, around Halloween. That's going to, you know, not an anthology book, uh, just a a five issue series and uh, a one shot. So we're going to package them together and hopefully put them out, you know, like uh, maybe Netflix style. So everybody can kind of just binge those right around Halloween. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Good times. All right, man. Well, that's going to be it for us here. So if anybody's looking for you out there, where can they find you? I can look me up on Twitter at big ox seven thirty seven, And then my blog that, uh, it's a little slow these days, but I do, I am getting the itch to write again at comics, comics, blog. Um, you can see some of my, the stuff I've written there. Yep. And anytime uh, there's a super blog team up uh, event as well, that you can uh, search for uh, Jeremiah's stuff there too. Just hashtag SBTU or hashtag super blog team up, right? Yep. Yep. That's been a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 We'll have to try to coerce our buddy, uh, Chris uh, Charlton Hero there. And uh, maybe we could do an SBTU, a horror version around Halloween one of these years. Yeah, we're 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 getting to be due for a, a super blog at this point. It's been a yep. while. Yeah, I think it's been since June or May or June. So yeah, it's 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 almost getting around that time. So we'll have to uh, put the bug in his ear. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, I had a great time with this one. It was another good comic. 
fun stories, great cover, and always always nice talking to you, Billy. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for being on, man. Always good having you. So uh, we're going to step out of here quick, and uh, I'll hit a little bit of a promo or something, a clip, and then uh, be right back to wrap things up. up this episode once again i want to thank jeremiah for being on the show i really enjoy having him on he's a good guy uh you know he's got some good insights and stuff like that so always a good time having him on you know good guy good sense of humor uh loves comic books and uh you know uh, he and i are going to be talking about uh, quite a few things going forward as well phantom stranger for sure we're going to kick that off uh you know uh, early 2023 uh we've already talked about a couple of uh single appearances of his but we're going to start at the uh, uh issue number one there with the uh late silver age uh series where that started up so get ready for that and then uh, we're definitely going to tackle some more anthologies and then uh, you never know what else along the way so you'll definitely be hearing uh, he and i uh, talk more going forward so stay tuned for that all right take care everybody <laughs>